All right, well, that was fun. I say I just sit down now and we call it a day. How's that? <laughs> so it started like this. My wife uh, asked me to move a couple boxes for her in the garage. I was sitting in the living room watching a game, and she came to me and said, Hey, can you come and help me just move a couple boxes in the garage? And so... Um, Having been married for over 30 years, I know that when your wife asks you to move a couple boxes in the garage, the answer is yes. So I said yes, and I got up and went into the garage. And I should probably just stop for a second and say, we have these rows of boxes in our garage. And the reason we have these boxes in our garage is because my wife is the most awesome decorator in the history of houses. So what she does is Every different season of the year, we have a completely different set of decorations that go all throughout our house. And so um, there's, you know, there's uh, right now, if you were to come to our house, there's something like 16,000 pumpkins up on the walls in our house. They're made of wood and stone and paper mache and whatever you make these things out of. And they're everywhere because it is fall. And when Thanksgiving passes, our house will be transformed and will look more Christmas-like than any Macy's in America. That's how it will look. And then will come uh, New Year's Day, and on New Year's Day, all of the Christmas stuff goes away, and we have New Year's decorations. But then New Year's doesn't last for very long, so we will then have President's Day decorations. And after that, we have uh, Valentine's Day. I don't know the order of all these things, but, you know, uh, Easter, St. Patrick's Day, Fourth of July, Groundhog Day. We, we, and, and Groundhog Day is not great because you come downstairs in the middle of the night and those beady little eyes are looking at you. It's not great. But anyway, my wife is awesome about decorating the house for all of these seasons. And, and so she, she needed some of those decoration boxes moved. So she said, will you come and help me move these boxes? Um, and now I, I, I went and I moved two boxes, not big, heavy boxes, not 200 boxes, two regular boxes. I just moved them. Now it was the end of August, beginning of September. It was hot. And in five minutes, I was just drenched in sweat. I had to go upstairs, take a cold shower, laid on the bed for an hour before I felt well enough to get up and do anything because of the exertion of moving two boxes, right? Um, and I didn't, uh, I didn't know exactly what to do about it. It didn't feel right to me that it should take me so long to recover. But after a while of thinking about it, I decided to do what any man would do in that situation, and I ignored it and pretend there was nothing wrong, okay? Man. And I, I continued to ignore it until the next day when I found myself going down a flight of stairs, and when I got to the bottom of one flight of stairs, I was completely out of breath with tightness in my chest, and I thought, I didn't go upstairs, I went downstairs, just one flight of stairs, and that's when I got mad and started to yell at myself, and I said, how do you let yourself get so fat and out of shape that going down one flight of stairs makes your chest hurt and makes you short of breath? And, and I was disgusted with myself, but I decided the thing to do would be to ignore it. So I ignored it. <laughs> and I managed to ignore it for a couple more days. But I have this cool little, you know, uh, computerized watch that I wear. And one of the things it does is every hour it takes my pulse. And it always takes my pulse when I'm resting. Is there like 65, 63, 68, something like that all the time? And for about three days, it ran 110, 125, 132, 
like that. And at that point, I said, man, I think there might be something wrong. And so <laughs> I, I made the uh, quintessential mistake and mentioned it to my wife. <laughs> yep. And within minutes, I found myself at the emergency room. So that's what happens once you tell your wife, OK? So I get to the emergency room, which, by the way, I hear this is for free. I'm going to just tell you this. Um, if you ever have, let's say you stub your toe or you sprain a finger or something like that and you have to go to the emergency room, here's the deal. When you check in and they say, what is the problem? You say, I stubbed my toe and I'm having tightness in my chest. <laughs> because there's a whole group of people over here that have been sitting there for hours and they're like bleeding and throwing up and stuff. And you walk right past those people and you go straight in. I tell them, I'm having some tightness in my chest. I'm having, you know, shortness of breath. They said, come right on in. They hooked me up to a bunch of, they gave me one of those really cool gowns that you put on. <laughs> those are cool. And you need an engineering degree to figure out where all the snaps go and everything. I put that on. They hooked me up to a bunch of electrodes and they do an EKG. Um, they bring this machine in and they do chest x-rays and, um, and you know, doctors are coming and going and nurses are coming and going. Meanwhile, this is a busy, emergency room. There's like people that are crying and screaming and police are coming through and firemen and ambulances and all. I mean, it is a zoo in this emergency room. And I'm sitting there kind of feeling like, what am I doing here? I'm probably fine. It's no big deal. I should have ignored it. And, <laughs> and they finally came in and said, look, we're not sure if anything is wrong, but we think you should have some tests tomorrow. So we're going to keep you overnight. And I said, okay. And they said, but we don't have any beds open right now, so you're going to have to spend the night here in the emergency room. Well, there is no sleeping in that place, I guarantee you. You're on a gurney, not a bed. And then all of this craziness is going on. So I'm just sitting there kind of praying. That's probably what I was doing, praying. And I'm, I'm sitting there, and the nurse comes in and says, um, we're transferring you to ICU. And I said, um... <laughs> Did something come back in my test? What, why am I going to ICU? And they said, oh, no, no, it's just the only place a bed opened up. Now, now, if a bed opens up at 2 in the morning in ICU, that's not a good thing, right? <laughs> so I got that bed, which I assume is not a lucky bed, right? I get that bed. I take me to ICU. I finally get to sleep. I spend the night. The next day, the doctor comes in, and he says, look, I think you need an angiogram. I said, fine, let's do it. He goes, yeah, but we don't do it here. We have to send you to this other hospital. They'll do it there. And I said, okay, do I sign something to check out and drive over there? And he goes, oh, no, no, we send you by ambulance because it costs thousands. <laughs> so I didn't want to miss that opportunity. So they, and it was, it was the end of August. Remember, it was like 110 degrees. So this ambulance, which is essentially a metal box, is sitting out in the sun waiting for me. And, and I remember as they pushed me in, I felt like a, a tray of cookies going into the <laughs> oven. And they're like, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm squirting sweat out of my body. What do you mean, how am I doing? It's a million degrees. So I was in worse shape when I got to the place than I was when I left. They take me in. They say, we're going to do an angiogram. I don't know how many of you have ever had an angiogram, but it's interesting. You, you stay awake through the procedure. They run this camera up through your arteries and into your heart, and they're, they're looking at you. So I'm having this angiogram. And look, 
I'm middle-aged, I don't eat right, I'm not exercising right, I'm overweight, I know I'm going to have to have some stints at best, right? At stents are the best I can hope for. I'm hoping I don't have to have bypass surgery. And so, um, and I told somebody this already, they, they, uh, the guy starts looking and, and, and he says to the nurse, look at that. <laughs> right? And I'm like, that, you can't say, what does that mean? And then he says, oh, and look at that. And I, and I said, what? And he says, he says, your, um, your arteries are really clear. And I said, well, that's good, right? And he goes, well, yeah, except there's something wrong. I don't know what's wrong. Your arteries are perfectly clear. And then he literally goes, uh-oh. <laughs> that's not what they're supposed to say. And so I said, what does that mean? And he, long story short, he says, you got a bad valve. And... Um, I said, well, what does that mean? And literally, he looks at me, and he goes, <laughs> and there's a reason this guy works in the lab, I'm thinking, right? It's not the greatest bedside manner. I'm, I'm like, fantastic. So they, keep, they take me out of there. They send me back to the room. They, hook, they do an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound, right? And, and I thought when they put the gel on me and they're rubbing around, I thought, maybe I'm pregnant. That could explain <laughs> a lot of this. But then they moved up to the chest. They're like, you see your heart? I'm like, okay, I see it. And he starts showing me around. And he goes, this is your mitral valve. You see how it's opening and shutting? He goes, and up here, this is your aortic valve. See how it's going? It's not moving hardly at all. And there's no blood flowing through there. That's your problem. You, you, you basically have a dead heart valve. And um, so it, it, it turns out that your heart valve your, is supposed to have three basic, you know, cusps to it, and mine only has two, and so it's failing. So I said, well, what, what does this mean? What do I do? He goes, oh, I don't know. I'm not an expert. We have to, <laughs> we have to wait for the surgeon. So if they say they're sending a surgeon, that's bad news, Right. So in walks the surgeon, and he comes in in his pristine white coat, and the first thing I notice as he turns is that across here in big red letters, it says, USC. <laughs> I said, I am going to die in this place. I know I'm going to die in this place. And so I said to him, hey, would you mind taking off that lab coat? I can't have a USC lab coat in here. And, and I smiled, and he didn't. <laughs> so I learned surgeons don't have a sense of humor at all. And I said, no, seriously, I can't have the USC thing. And he goes, I don't understand. And, <laughs> so I tried to explain to him, and I finally made him a deal. I said, I will let you operate on me if you swear to me that nothing you have on will say USC on it on the, during the operation. I made him sign a waiver thing that promised that. <laughs> And, and um, he said, you definitely need surgery. And I said, well, okay, if I don't have the surgery, and he said, you die. So that made my, my decision easier. And <laughs> I said, okay, what are we going to do? And he said, you're going you're gonna to need a new heart valve. And, and my next question was, um, why? W what happened here? Is this genetic? I mean, I have a family history where... You know, my dad had heart disease, my mom had heart disease, my brothers have heart disease. 
and I, is it genetic? And he goes, no, actually it has nothing to do with your family history. And I said, well, so it's just too much fried food, right? And he goes, no, actually your arteries are really great. And, um, and I said, well, is it just too little exercise? I mean, he goes, no, I don't think that has anything to do with it. I said, did I catch a virus from somebody? Is that how I did this? And he said, no. I said, well, then how did this happen? And here's what he said. You were born this way. And those words just rung in my mind. He said, you were born with a bad heart. I've been carrying it around all these years. I was born this way. And, and my heart valve has never been right, and my heart has never been right, and it's never worked right, but I didn't know because that was normal for me, right? And so he said, you were born with a bad heart. So as you know, I now have a cow valve where my human valve used to be, and um, people ask me about it, and I, it has not affected my desire to eat steak at all. I still like the steak. I do find myself drinking a lot of milk, I have noticed. <laughs> But it's been two months now since uh, my surgery. Um, I've been through a major open heart surgery. Uh, I've been recovering at home for weeks. I have been poked and prodded and examined and had blood drawn 10 million times. I have been exercised and taught how to, to live differently. And I stand here before you today doing pretty well, all things considered. So great job for that. But I cannot get that statement out of my head. You have a bad heart. You were born that way. Born with a bad heart. But my doctor was not the first physician to have that conversation with somebody. In fact, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the great physician, had the exact same conversation with a group of people over lunch. And we're going to look at that today because it's in Mark chapter 7. And I want you to go to your New Testament. Matthew's the first book. Then you find Mark. You go to Mark chapter 7. And let me tell you what's been going on here. Um, Jesus' disciples, they, they, it's lunchtime. They all come together in a big group of people with the others. They're going to have this outdoor picnic. They're ready to eat. And they don't go through any kind of special hand purification ceremony before they eat. The Pharisees see this and they get mad and they come to Jesus and say, how can your, your guys not wash their hands correctly before they eat? They're going to defile themselves and all of this kind of stuff. And Jesus has a very interesting response to them if we pick it up in verse 6 of uh, Mark chapter 7. He said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy, you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. See, these guys had a doctrine problem because they had been taught their whole life that these man-made traditions about hand-washing were really essential, and if you don't wash your hands correctly, you're going to end up defiled spiritually. And Jesus saw this as um, a real opportunity to teach because he realized they didn't just have a doctrine problem, they had a heart problem. If you go back to verse 6 again, look at it, what, the, what he's quoting, which is from 
um, chapter 14 of the Psalms. He says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. I'm sorry, that's not from Psalms, that's from Isaiah. Uh, their heart is far from me. They're doing all the right religious things, but their heart is wrong. They have a bad heart, Jesus says. And then he goes on using this as a teaching opportunity in verse 14. He says, after he called the crowd to him, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There's nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, now look at this, from within, verse 21, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within, and they defile the man. So Jesus says, listen, the problem is a problem of the heart. That which is in your heart gets exposed by what comes out of your mouth, he says. And he begins to put his finger on the problem. Let me just summarize it. Here's what his teaching means. We are all born with a bad heart. Born that way. It's human nature. All human beings in the same category. All of us born with a bad heart. Let me show you what the Bible says about this, just in case you think I'm being a little bit too harsh. And we could flip around just to a few of these verses. But look at Jeremiah chapter 17. It's in the Old Testament. After Isaiah, you come to Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah chapter 17. And I will give you a moment to get there, and I will take a drink of water so the doctors don't get mad at me. Isaiah chapter 17, verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? God says the heart of man is desperately sick. Some of your translations probably say desperately wicked. This is God's description of the heart of mankind. He says the heart is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Now, this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Go to Genesis chapter 6, because this is where this begins. In Genesis chapter 6, he talks about it as well. Um, we've had, you know, the eating of the fruit and the curse that comes with that and death. We're now living under the curse, and we're in Genesis chapter 6. And in verse 5, listen to this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man, that is a harsh statement about the condition of mankind in general. He's not talking about a person. He's talking about all people. And he says the condition of the heart is, is evil. Psalm 14, which I was alluding to earlier, turn to Psalms and find Psalm 14. 
And the whole of Psalm 14 is really interesting on this subject, but let me just read verse 1. Psalm 14, 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. Again, wow. That's not, that's not gentle language. That's not saying, hey, some people have an issue. This is God saying, the heart of man is desperately broken. Now, before we get any further with this, we should just, uh, yeah, I think it's fairly clear to most of us what he means by the heart. He's not talking about the muscle in your chest, okay? I'm just using that as an analogy. He's talking about the inner person. The heart to the, to the Jewish thinker is, is the whole inner man. It's the mind, the will, the emotions, everything that makes you you. And he's saying there's something deeply broken in all people. We are broken on the inside, he says. Now, if you go to the New Testament, because you might say, well, you're just quoting Old Testament and you know how harsh the Old Testament is, go to the New Testament and go to the book of Matthew chapter 12 and let's hear what Jesus has to say. Matthew, first book of the New Testament, chapter 12 and verse 34. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. He says, your heart is evil. Now, go to Romans. Let's see what Paul has to say. Right after Acts, you find Romans. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Go to Romans chapter 1. And by the way, if, if, you, if you want a homework assignment... Read all of Romans chapter 1 this week in your quiet time. It's fascinating on this subject, and you get a whole lot more information than I'm about to give you now. But I just want to read to you Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. Here's what he says. For even though they knew God, speaking of all of mankind, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And he goes on to talk about the depravity of man. Now, if you just turn the page and go to Romans chapter 3, Paul's not done talking about this. Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. And he's talking about the difference between Jews and Greeks. And he says, what then? Are we, the Jews, better than they, the Greeks? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Those whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's Paul's theological description of of the heart of man. So I can read you a whole bunch more verses, but that's a list to get started with. And it's not very flattering, is it? And, and you know what? 
This is stuff we don't like to talk about. We don't like to talk about it in church. We don't like to talk about it over lunch with our friends. This is stuff we don't like to talk about. We don't like to talk about sin. We don't like to talk about brokenness. We don't like to talk about people's need. But here's the thing. If the scripture is true, and I kind of feel like it is, if the scripture is true, then what God told Adam in the garden is still true today. If we rebel against God, we find ourselves under a curse and our hearts are broken. The wages of sin is death. And people are walking around with bad hearts. How do we get those bad hearts? We were born that way. We're born that way. And that's the thing that hit me so hard when he looked at me and he said, he said, you were born that way. And, I, and just the theological truth hit me and I said, man, this is so good. I got to remember this because I'm going to preach on it. Because <laughs> the truth of the matter is we're born with a huge heart problem. And, and a lot of us don't want to get into that because we're not going to offend people and we don't want to make people mad and all that kind of stuff. But here's the problem. We offer people this wonderful grace of Jesus and his love and his forgiveness and all that kind of stuff, but we never talk to them about the fact that they need that forgiveness, right? And so why would you do that? Why would you surrender your whole life to follow God when you don't even know that you need him? Listen, the the analogy carries. Uh, Here's what I did a couple months ago. I checked into a hospital took off all my clothes and laid down on this gurney and let them do things to me that I would never want anybody to do. People with sharp metal tools cut into my body. They stopped my heart for hours and they cut pieces of my heart out and they took a cow heart and sewed parts of it in. And then they, they took a piece of um, wire and wrapped my breastbone with it and tied it so it would hold the breastbone together. And then they took the flesh and they glued it shut and put stitches where necessary, stuck a tube down my throat, which is very fun, by the way. And, and that's what I let them do to me. Why would a sane person let people do that to them? Because he understands that the the only other option is worse. And see, we as Christians too often in our desire not to offend people are unwilling to lovingly tell them the truth about the fact that all of us as human beings are in the same boat. We're broken and we need a savior. Why else would anybody say, yes, I'll walk away from my own control of my own life and doing things the way I want to do it and I'll let God be in control of my life? if they didn't understand that they desperately need a savior, that they're missing out on what is actual life itself because of their broken hearts. Guys, we're born with a bad heart and we need to not be afraid to share that with people. It's true of all of us. Now, what's true for me physically is true for every human being spiritually. And it's bad news. You are born with a bad heart. But aren't you glad that the Bible is not known as the bad news, but it's known as the good news? The the, the story doesn't end there, right? 
You, you've probably heard this little verse in John chapter 3 where it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the good news. That, that he has a way to give us a new heart. That it is not hopeless. That it is not over. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, who knew no sin, was willing to take on the whole weight of sin so that I could have a new heart. Or maybe you know 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, the good news is, yes, we have a bad heart. And there is a God who loves us so much and has the power to give us a new heart by the sacrifice of Christ. There's nothing less, uh, nothing less than a new heart will, will suffice. But that's what God offers us by His grace and the sacrifice of Christ. And as I watch the news today and as I see the culture around me and I watch all of the suffering and all the pain and all the people who are looking everywhere for some sort of hope, some sort of joy, some sort of peace, some sort of fulfillment and coming up empty again and again and again as I see so many in our culture just spiraling out of control and it breaks my heart and I look at that and I realize that people today will try everything except Jesus to get right. And they always end up worse. My friends, every human being is born with a bad heart and only Jesus can change that. And we're the ones that carry that message. And that's why so many social programs and government interventions, as, as kind-hearted and, and desirous to help as they may be, end up failing. It's because they're based on the idea that man is basically good and if you just remove some of the obstacles from him, he will show you how good he is. But all of human history shows us that's a lie. All of human history shows us that man is basically flawed. He's basically selfish. He is basically covetous. He is basically lustful. He is basically um, envious. He, he is basically a liar. We see that throughout all of human history. There's been no exception in any age or time or place. But if we have this idea that man is basically good and all we have to do is remove some obstacles and he'll do fine, we will continue to end up with the kinds of disasters that we have where we have that approach to government intervention in societies and neighborhoods and cultures today where things get worse and not better. We need to get this straight. We all need Jesus. So I stand before you today with a healthy heart. And my cardiologist says I'm doing great. And he says that, <laughs> barring any surprises, I'm going to live a long and healthy life. My heart is beating right on cue. The valves are opening and shutting like they're supposed to. The arteries are clear. It's all good. And I am immensely thankful for that. But I am way infinitely more thankful that God has given me a new spiritual heart. Because, guys, eternity is forever. Eternity is forever. I, you know, maybe with this new heart, I'll live to be 100. Or maybe I'll get hit by a bus today. I don't know. I know this. Eternity is forever. 
and God has given me a new heart. Well, just to finish the story. Before I left the hospital, they gave me all kinds of instructions. I had to meet with a dietitian. You can imagine how I was looking forward to that. <laughs> and I met with a dietitian, and she explained all the food groups and how I need to eat this and not so much of that and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, really the thing was, because I'm on this major blood thinner, uh, the, the really heartbreaking part of this was I have to eat, um, I really have to stay away from green leafy vegetables. Yeah, you can, I, I mean, I cried through the whole meeting, really. <laughs> So you can imagine with that, no more kale, I was, I didn't know what to do. And so I met with a dietitian because the dietitian said, look, there's some things you're going to need to do in order to take care of this heart, right? I had to meet with a physical therapist and the physical therapist had to show me exercises that I had to do because there's some things you need to do to take care of this heart. And I met with a cardiologist and the cardiologist told me there's some things you're going to have to do to take care of this heart. And now I take lots of pills every morning and lots of pills every night and I'm doing exercises and all this kind of stuff. Um, and here's the reason. When you're given the gift of a new heart, man, you don't want to take that for granted. You want to take care of it. And, and the same is true for our spiritual hearts. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, says that we should guard our hearts with all diligence for from it flows the streams of life. Guard your heart with all diligence. I've already made a bunch of adjustments to make sure that I protect my physical heart. What kind of adjustments are you willing to make to protect your spiritual heart? So I'm going to wrap this up quickly, and I'm going to give you um, uh, three prescriptions that you need to follow. And then I will sign your discharge papers, and you can go. Okay? <laughs> Here's number one. If you got this new heart... Watch your diet. Watch your diet. What you take in spiritually affects your heart. What you take in intellectually affects your heart. What you take in emotionally affects your heart. How many of us spend so much of our time just allowing the world's wrong ideas to just pour into our minds and we just soak in that stuff because it's my favorite TV show or I really like this band and I'm not really listening to the lyrics anyway or whatever our story is. And we just stew in the world's ideas and we don't take any time to really eat of God's word. Guys, we need God's word. And, and, and I'll just say, listen, I'm speaking to me as much as I'm speaking to you. It is hard to find time to read God's Word. I don't know why. Because I got time to watch TV. I can binge watch Grey's Anatomy. I, I, can, I can watch, I promise you, I'm watching the World Series tonight, right? So somehow I got time for that and no time to read God's Word. And I'm killing my heart. We need to take God's word seriously. Guys, just pick up the Bible and read it. And you say, it's hard for me, I don't really get it. The more you read it, the better you will understand it. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight and begin to feast on God's word. What are you going to eat? Are you going to eat God's word or are you going to eat the world's value system? It will determine the course of your heart. Guard your heart with all diligence for from it flow the streams of life. That's number one. Number two, you need to see the great physician regularly. 
I, my cardiologist said, listen, you have to see me regularly. From now on, for the rest of your life, you're going to have to see me regularly. I got to guard. I got to watch your heart. I have to know what's going on. You have to make regular appointments. It's got to go in your calendar and you can't miss them. We need to see the great physician regularly. You need to be spending time in prayer, talking to the Lord on a regular basis. If you're not sharing your life with him and gaining from his life, your heart is going to wither. And by the way, that goes for corporate worship as well. It, it, it's, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't want to make a big deal out of this. And I realize I'm preaching to the choir here because you guys are all here to hear this. But the things that we allow to get in the way of us spending time worshiping God with the body of Christ is astonishing to me. Uh, I'm not saying that we have to be legalistic and if you're ever not here on a Sunday, you're some terrible sinner. I get that. We all are away and we have things like that. But guys, we need to make corporate worship a priority. We need to get together. How great was it this morning to stand with our hands raised and worship the living God together? It's an awesome thing, and it feeds my heart. Third thing, you're going to have to exercise. As Christians, too many of us are feasting. We sit and listen to the sermons, and somebody feeds us with a spoon, and they just keep feeding us and feeding us. And you know what? I look at the Christian church at large in America today, and you know what I see? A bunch of fat little babies. And at some point, you have to get up off of your padded seats and exercise spiritually. You got to get out and serve somebody. You got to get out and share your faith. You got to get out and give to somebody. You got to get out and, and make a sacrifice. Because until we begin to exercise and build our spiritual strength, we're never going to become mature in Christ. A new heart's an amazing gift from God. And, and it's offered to each of us by God, and the price has already been paid. <laughs> you should see the stack of medical bills at my house. <laughs> Maybe there's somebody here today who just needs to accept that gift and, and realizes I'm still working with the old heart. No wonder I'm running into all these barriers. And maybe today you need to recognize my damaged heart is not going to get me through for eternity. I need to trust Jesus. I need to accept this free gift. I need to let him give me a new heart. And with that new heart, I need to follow him all the rest of my days. If that's you, guys, it's not a big religious deal. All you have to do is just sort of surrender to God. Just tell him. Just tell him, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I messed up. I know I can't save myself. I know I can't do this. I need you. Come into my life. Be my Lord, and I will follow you the rest of my days. Lay your life down at his feet and become a follower of Jesus. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe some of you have done that a long time ago, but you're still struggling and maybe you need to look at those three things and go, how do I guard my heart? Do I need to change my diet? Do I need to change my exercise program? Do I need to find a way to spend time with a great physician? There's no time like the present to change direction and move toward health. I learned a bunch of lessons in the operating room. Lesson number one, we're all born with a bad heart but the great physician is able to give us new life. Lesson number two, you got to come back next week to find out. 
Let's stand together and we'll pray.